one of the joys of being a pastor is that I get to spend a whole week diving into God's word, praying over, preparing it, to think about what does God want to say to the church. And sometimes in that moment, a unique burden shows up, but it's a joyful burden where God's like, you know what, Brandon, this is actually for you. And you get to preach it as if it's your story. As we've been in this series all in, I had one of those moments as we were talking about the love of Christ, being captivated by the love. And Jesus was challenging the church in Ephesus. Hey, I love your works. You're doing great things. You're holding true to doctrine. But I have this one thing against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. And I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, if I were to be honest, when it comes to loving Jesus in the last few years, I've not been all in. I remember when I first became a Christian, the passion I have, the, the joy of my salvation, the, the hunger that I had to be with God's people and God's word and worship together. But I want to tell you as a pastor, as a result of this series of what God is saying, I'm all in and it's hard. How do we go all in? Like, what does that even look like? It can feel impossible. I know you feel that tension and what God is ultimately looking for is our yes, our predetermined yes. Are we willing to confess to him, I'm not all in, but I want to be all in. Church, I'm telling you, when I look at Christ and I look at what he has done for me and what he's done for you, how could we not be all in? One small but yet significant step to moving towards being all in, moving towards owning the responsibility of making disciples, of being a discipler, is to consider membership. Membership is actually probably one of the most important tools that we have of disciple making. And so we want to revamp this and we want to invite you to be um, either a new member or if you are a member, we're asking everybody to re-up. The heartbeat of membership is belonging to the body of Christ, realizing that it's through the blood of Christ, the death and resurrection, and it's upholding the responsibility that God has given you individually and upholding the responsibility that God has given us corporately as a church. And so in the next few weeks, you're going to hear how we're going to lay out the strategy, but we want to let you know that a significant aspect of how to take your next best step in being all in is to consider membership. If you are a member, we want to encourage you. We want to strongly implore you to re-up on this. You're going to hear this morning from a great man of God, Pastor BJ. You're going to hear Paul say that the love of Christ compels him, controls us, moves us to want to love other people. The love of Christ compels me. And it compels me to say, I'm all in. All right. Good morning, church. Thank you for saying good morning. That means a lot to me. Um, man, I'm humbled that, that Brandon would, would introduce me like that. My name is BJ Ferguson, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And, and it is an honor for me to be a, a part of leading this church and, and seeing what God has been doing through you guys. And, and as Pastor Brandon mentioned, we are looking ahead to, to what God has in store for us. And in particular, it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve this idea of membership. And, and what I want you to know that that's about is that we take seriously the, the Scripture's call for church leaders to shepherd the flock that is among us, to, to, to care for the people that are here, to instruct them, to teach them, to encourage them, and to, to challenge them to move forward and, and grow in the likeness of Christ. 
And so we believe that the best way to do that, the best way for us to know you, the best way for you to know us and understand us is through the means of membership. And so over the next three months, there's going to be opportunities that we have that we're going to invite you into that and, and understanding what God is calling us to do. And, and I would love for you to prayerfully consider doing that. It's, it's exciting for us especially in light as, of where God is showing us where we want to go in the next five years. And so um, as, as we get started, I would just love to pray. And I ask that you would pray for me. This is not my favorite thing that I get to do, but I do believe that today that, that God has something that he's been teaching me and showing me. And so I'd ask that you would let me set aside my insecurities about this and that, that God's word would come through. So could you join me in praying that with me? Heavenly Father, God, I, I need you. I need to receive your promises as, as true for me. And God, that, that out of me would come your truth so that your people might uh, understand you and know you and love you and, and, and be so moved by your sacrifice for them that it spurs them on to do what you were calling them to do. God, I pray that we would understand the love that you have for us and how that moves us, how that compels us, how that controls us to honor you and glorify you and see your good purposes moved forward in this community. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Today, we're going to be looking at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And, and, and in this passage... Um, it's going to start off with this phrase, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. And, and that is going to be a big piece of, of, of what we're going to need to understand before anything else. And so uh, before we do that, I, I need to get into kind of understanding, like, what, what do we love? And like, what do we pour our affections and our, our efforts and our heart into and our mind into and all those different things? Um, and I'm not talking about just like, like romantic love. I'm talking about those things that we like, like we say that we love, like that, that we really invest into. And it's, it's happening right now, so I'm going to say it. Music, ACL, I don't understand you people. Um, like, I really don't get why you want to go stand outside and sweat in a, like, crazy outdoor venue that's even, like, you can't even hear things as well as you can, like, listening to it in your car. So, like, people love doing that. They'll spend their resources to go do that. They will, they will buy swag and wear swag to those bands that I didn't know existed, um, I mean, George Strait, right? Like, I know that one. That's about it. But, like, like foodies, like, you invest your time and your resource into learning how to cook these things that cost a lot and taste okay. And, like, it, and you take pictures and Instagram it and all that stuff. Like, I mean, there are things that we pour our affection out into. And it can be stories like movies, books entertainment it can be it can be gardening or yard work like things that we put our money and our efforts and our resources and our body into it could be a job it could be exercise or competition it could be a school or a team and just here's here's like how i prove this texas a&m see i i knew that yeah uh, i mean granted something happened yesterday that i do think is cool and that's a big deal for me to say that 
to say anything nice about Texas A&M is a big deal. So please, whew, like 20-year-old me hates me saying that right there. So anyway, but like we pour our affections into things. For, for me, I, I poured my affection into football. When I, when I was younger, and I don't talk about this very often, I, I played football for 11 years. And, and I don't talk about it often because I don't want to seem like I'm bragging about it. Um, so like just give me a little bit of grace here. Um, I got to play at the collegiate level. And, and so here's, just give me a little grace and I'll explain. Um, hopefully the point gets across. Um, I had the privilege of being a four-year starter at a university that almost had a wi winning record one year. Um, so, yeah, don't mean to brag. Um, yes, I, I did get to play at Rice University, and here's proof of that coming up. Um, thank you. I still think I look good. And I, and I have a little bit more hair than I did in that picture. So, um, anyway, but like, when I tell people that I played at Rice University, their first question is, hey, is that in Texas? Just so it doesn't have to be awkward later. Yes, it is in Texas. Um, that's like, it's, it hurts my feelings, but yes, it is in Texas. Then they might ask, oh, that must be a D3 school. And I'm like, no, it's a Division I school. Um, and, and maybe if they do know something about Rice, if they know something about the program, then they think they're connecting with me when they go like, oh man, that's awesome. I love Rice. Their band is hilarious. <laughs> Guys, when, when the football player, the first comment that you give to a football player is like the band is hilarious, it hurts my feelings, okay? Um, the one thing you know about my football program is our band. Um, that's me trying not to brag, guys, just so y'all know, all right? But I, I loved it. I, I loved what football was able to, to do, what, able, what football was able to provide. I, I poured my efforts, my time, my resources, my, my body into it. And, and yeah, I got some things out of it. I got to play in amazing places. I got great friends. I got to play against Ricky Williams. Like for, for you old people, you know who that is. And, and for those of you who are young and old, I got to play against Tom Brady. Yeah, that's how old he is. <laughs> Think about that. I feel bad every Sunday watching him go like, I haven't played football in 20 years, and here he is, the best person in the entire league. And I'm just like, oh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm where God has me. That's, that's the encouragement right there, all right? But guys, we, we pour our efforts into these things that we love. We we, we dump our resources, our time, our affection, like my body. I, I had six surgeries because of football, and I, I loved it. it. It's what I did. But football never loved me back. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, football never came to me and was like, hey, like, how you doing, buddy? Like, football just kept moving on. Like, how, how could football love me back? It's, it's, it's an inanimate thing. It's a, it's a thing. But yet I still poured out for it. And so the question I have for us is, what, 
What are we willing to pour our affection out into? What are we willing to drive our, our resources, our, our, our bodies, our, our motivation, our, our words, our evangelism? Our, what are we going to pour into? And, and that's the question that's hit up in 2 Corinthians is that Paul is dealing with here. He's being questioned by this church that he planted on his motivations and, and and it, he then speaks to them like this. And so if you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, it says this. I'll let you get there and grab a sip of water. <clears throat> it says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all that those who might live, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now, on, uh, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once re regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Paul was experiencing this persecution from within the church. There were people from within the church where he was, he was being discredited from, from the people that were there saying like, hey, Paul, you're over there now trying to do the thing that God has called you to do, uh, but you're dealing with a lot of trouble. You're, you're, getting, you're getting like severely persecuted. You're getting beat. You're getting stoned. You're getting all these things are happening to you over there. So obviously you, you must not be the, the one God has called us to follow. Like you, you must be crazy or something. You must be a madman. And so now Paul is explaining to them, hey, like your, your opinion of me is not my motivation. What, what you think and what you speak to me is not my motivation. Let me tell you what my motivation is. And, he, and even if we step backwards, let's go into verse 13. It says this. For if we are beside ourselves, if we are crazy, if we are madmen, is what that's saying, it is for God. And therefore your opinion is not important to me. But if we are in our right mind and you, you hear us and you think of what we have to say as good and right, then it is for you because you get to be the beneficiary of that. And so now we have Paul making it clear like, hey, like my desire here is to advance God's good purpose wherever he leads me. I want to advance God's good purpose wherever he leads me. And now I'm going to tell you why. And it's not because you think this of me. It's because God has put it on my heart. And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to tell you why. And this is what we have to deal with right here. 
Why are we doing this thing that we do right now? Why are we doing this church? Why are we worshiping? Why do we get in community? Why do we care about the things that we care about? And I think God has, has the opportunity to reveal to us today four things. He's going to reveal to us what a love is. He's going to reveal to us what a uh, perspective is. He's going to reveal to us what our identity is. And he's going to reveal to us what our mission is. And we're going to look at these in different parts. And we're going to start with the first part. Let's, let's look in verse 14 again. Like, what is the love that is described here? It says, for the love of Christ controls us. And I'm going to just pause right there for a moment. Just, just pause in that one. If you're like me, and maybe we'll just do it. I can't move past any word in that little phrase to anything else. Like, I get stuck on the word control. Does anybody else feel that way? Is it just me? Like, I mean, you, thank you guys for participating with that. Y'all are brave. I get it. Um, guys, this idea of control is something that speaks. I, I, I really have a hard time seeing the other words in that sentence. But as we talked earlier, there are often things in our life that we give control to. Like, I, I, it could have appeared as though football controlled me. That I, I chose the school that I was going to go to based off of football. Yeah, I know. That's, the, the, the choice was a, dip, a weird choice. I get that. People ask if this is a Regent shirt all the time. It's not, it's a rice, rice shirt. Uh, guys, we, we are controlled by something. And so what are we willing to, willing to be controlled by? I was willing to be controlled by something that didn't love me back. And what is this first statement that it says here? For the love of Christ controls us. Other translations say compel. Others say, like, uh, hemmed in, moved towards, like, put in a direction. For the love of Christ controls us. And let me just break that down even further. Paul understood who Jesus was. He knew him to be the Son of God. He knew him to be the one that created all of the universe. And in him... It says in uh, Colossians chapter 1, it says, Paul, and Paul wrote that, in him all things hold together. He knew that, that Jesus Christ himself had all power and all authority and was a king. And when a king gives a directive to a subject, that subject goes and does it. That subject has no choice because that has so much power that that can tell me what to do and I have to go do it. Like, that is the authority that a king holds. And so a king could have told Paul, Paul, you're going to go do this. And Paul would have said, yes, sir, I'm going to go do this. But it doesn't stay there. A king has authority and a king has power. But it doesn't say, for Jesus Christ controls us. It adds this word, love. This word, like, you may have heard it. If you've been around church circles long enough, that word is agape. And that word is like the, the godly, sacrificial, overwhelming love that, that is unknown, right? That, that, like, that is so hard for us to understand. And it says, the love 
of the king is what controls us, what compels us, what moves us. It's the affection and the compassion aspect of the one with all authority and with all power. The one that knows every bit of who Paul is. It says, for the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ compels me. Church, no no matter what it is that God has called us as a church to do, to advance his good purposes, if it doesn't start with us knowing without a doubt that it is the great love from King Christ, from compassionate Christ to us, then we've missed the picture. It's the love of Christ that controls us, that compels us, that moves us forward into what he wants us to see accomplished. And it it goes on and it says this. It says, because we have concluded this. This is in 14, finishing out in 15. It says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, that Christ has died for everyone. Therefore, all have died. Our lives are no longer our own. And then verse 15 says, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Two things in this finishing out here. The love of Christ controls us. The love of the king controls us and moves us into action because it is not something that we can be indifferent to. The love of Christ is not something that we're like, eh. The love of Christ is so overwhelming that that the God that created all things would know me who is a busted up, messed up human being. And he invites me into that. He loves me. It is not something for us to be indifferent to. Because then it says he, he died and was raised again. And there's these three words that are, that are in this. It says, for their sake. For their sake. Christ died and was raised for us. The love of Christ controls us. The love that I don't deserve is poured out on me, and we can't be indifferent to it because it is so overwhelming. We advance God's good purposes in in this world because, because love demands it. The love of Christ demands it. It's not only the love that Paul understood, it's the perspective that he had. Verse 16 says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him this no longer. Paul understood this better than most. Paul understood the perspective of of seeing things from a fleshly perspective and seeing things uh, as Romans chapter 8 talks about it from the perspective of the Spirit. And and that's kind of a a New Testament theme that there's the, the aspect of the flesh, which is human understanding, my best thoughts on this particular issue. And then there's the the Spirit's understanding, which is I see through the eyes of Christ. I see with compassion and kindness and justice with Christ being glorified in all things. And that is the the eyes of the Spirit. Then there's the, the eyes of the flesh. And Paul says, I don't see people through the eyes of the flesh anymore. I don't 
perceive others through the perspective of, of my understanding. And he knows this because he, he treated Jesus this way. Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. Like that was his, his name. And in Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9, we get to see a little story about who Paul is. Saul, Paul, I'm going to just intertwine those names for a little bit. Just forgive me. But like when, when Saul first started pursuing after Christ in his own understanding, he was saying, hey, I'm trying to destroy this guy Jesus and all of his followers. I'm trying to get rid of everything that he's ever done because he is worthless to the cause that I think is right. And Paul, Saul, at that time is saying, hey, my understanding says that that, that is my enemy and I'm going to destroy him. But Jesus saw Paul and he goes, I see you through my eyes. My eyes are not flesh, my eyes are spirit. And I see God doing incredible things through you when you know who I am. You see, Jesus transformed Saul's life. He gave him a different perspective. He opened his eyes. Paul was once an enemy and now he's, he's in the family. And here we have Paul talking to a church, hear me out, talking to a church, addressing people that are attacking him, that are considered his enemies, and he is loving them by speaking the truth. He is seeing them not with eyes of the flesh, but with spiritual eyes, with the the eyes of the spirit. You see, God has changed his eyes that that those that were once enemies can now be God's children. And that affects how Paul sees himself, how he understands himself, like, hey, I no longer want to see people through the eyes of the flesh, through my own understanding. I want to look at others with the eyes of Christ. But that's what motivated, right? It moved him into action. He's like, I see where God could work in that person's life, in that person's life, in that person's life. So church, are, are we seeing our neighbors as, as those that we see with fleshly eyes that they'll never, they'll never follow after Christ? Are we seeing them with Christ-like eyes? So we've got a, a, an understanding of the love that, that, that Paul understood. We're, we've got an understanding of of the perspective change that Paul understood. Now, what about this identity? Let's move into the next verses. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Like this, is, this is another one of those comparisons, like the, the old and the new, the, the dead and the live, the, the eternal death and eternal life is, is a concept throughout the New Testament that we see. And, and Paul here understood this. He said, for anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past and behold, the new has come. His identity is changed. So this puts it at odds. Those that are, have been reconciled with Christ, the people that are followers of Christ, the people that are in his family. And then it 
the people that aren't, the people that are not reconciled. And those are the people that, that are new creations and the people that are old. And the people that are new creations have, have certain things and the people that are old creations have certain things. And, and these are at odds with one another. And Paul is trying to delineate that right now as it moves him to, to communicate to his people why he is doing what he's doing. And he, he talks about it like this. The, the people that have not, cho- like, like, that have not, followed after Christ, that are enemies of God, that are over here, they, they have the position of this. They, they are broken. They are lost. They are not reconciled. They are hopeless. They are enemies of God. In other words, they are eternally separated from God. And Paul understood that, that that's what the old was, that that's what his old identity was, that that was the, the Saul, the one that persecuted the church, was the old self. But then there's the new self, and the new self, what is the new self? Like, well, we have to look at the scriptures to see how the new self is, is described, and it says this. In, verse, in John chapter 15, verse 15, we are called friends of God. For those that are followers of Christ, the, that are new creation, we are considered to be friends of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says we are called holy and blameless that we get to be holy and blameless as a new creation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, we are called to children of God and, and co-heirs with Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are called royal. We are given the title of priests. We have the old self, the one that is dying, and we have the new self that gives us the identity of royalty. We have the old self that is eternal destiny is hell and the new self that eternal destiny is the presence of the good God of the universe forever. Amen? You see, this new identity that Paul understood here is that the new creation reminds us and it, and it brings to mind often that though we were once enemies, now we are family. That though we were once poor and peasants, that now we are royalty. That those that were once destined for hell are now eternally destined in the presence of God. See, Paul understood this so deeply because Jesus changed his name. His identity changed from the old self to the new self. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to know this so deeply that you're here and now you're here. And here Paul is saying, you want to know what pushes me, what motivates me to advance God's purposes in my life? He gave me a new identity that I didn't even deserve. So we talked about the love. We talked about the perspective. We talked about uh, the identity. Now we get into the mission. And this is, this is unique. It says, for all of this is from God, who first, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling us, uh, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Real quick, this word reconciliation happens three, uh, five times in these three verses that are right here. And that, that word means basically something that, that, is supposed to be whole is broken. Something that, that, that is broken that needs to be brought back together. Reconciled means to, to, to take what is, what is 
messed up and, and bring it together. Take what is, um, I had better words earlier, but take what is severed and bring it back together. Those sort of things. But in this passage, we see Paul point out two specific, very specific things for his, his mission. He's got a ministry of reconciliation, and he has a message of reconciliation. You see, we have a, a job to do, like that, that in light of all those things that we saw, the love, the identity, the perspective, like there's a job to do, and that is to, to serve others and let our actions help reconcile people to God. And then our words, our message, our words are to be telling the story of God's goodness and his faithfulness in our life. See, when we speak of advancing God's good here at Austin Oaks Church, it means we want to see Austin, Texas be made whole again. We want to see reconciliation happen throughout the city. We want to bring healing to the hurting. We want to bring unity to where there's division. We want to bring the light of God's kingdom into the places where darkness resides. And to do this, church, we have to do two things. We have to be people that out of the love of Christ moves forward and does things that serves this city and cares for this city and cares for our neighbors. And we have to bring the message of reconciliation and bring wholeness to those same people. We have a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation. Over the next five years, we want to equip our congregation to saturate Austin, Texas with the gospel. And we want to do that by equipping you to live out the gospel, to pour out love, to, to do the actions that care for the city. And we want to equip you to say the words, to, to talk about what God has done in your life, to be witnesses and people that tell about the goodness of God to the other people. We want to see our small groups working in our neighborhoods. We want to see partnerships on this street with schools and apartment complexes and businesses. And these things are already happening. Our sports and rec ministry is doing amazing things over here. Our AO City ministry has a partnership with Clint Small Middle School already. God is already at work in these things, and we want to invite you into that. We want to ask you to participate with that, but I have to pause. Because if we start thinking about the things that we are doing, but we look past the heart that is here, then we forget the basis of what compels Paul to go. See, we are compelled to love others. We are compelled to give generously. But why do we do these things? Well, there's three verses that I want to look at real quick. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul starts this. And this is, this is like a, a standard thing that Paul does right here. He does this exchange right here. It says, verse 3 in chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. He comforts us in all of our affliction. Next two words. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Said in another way uh, by the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, it says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us 
and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It is again that like we have a, we've received and that receiving pushes us and motivates us and causes us to not be indifferent to that and moves us into action. Or reiterating what it says in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, we are controlled by Christ. We are compelled to love others. We diligently want to see uh, good advanced in this city, but not because it's what we do, not because we have the habit of doing it as a church, but because God moved first. See, church, we have been reconciled to God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been adopted into the family of God when we were once enemies. We've been made holy because Jesus took on our brokenness. We've received eternal life when we deserve nothing but eternal death. Jesus is the one that that has done all this. We, We are a church that's simply about Jesus, and Jesus showed us what sacrificial love is. Jesus changed our perspective to see others like he does. Jesus gave us a new identity that we don't deserve, and Jesus invites us to participate in the reconciling work that he does. You see, friends, Jesus moved first. We finish out with this passage with verse 20 and 21, and it says this, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Um, real quick on that one. The idea of ambassador, I think, is unique as, it, as we understand our identity as children of God, co-heirs with Christ, royalty, that we are given the title of ambassador. And what is an ambassador but somebody that goes from their country into another space and brings the goodness of that country, of that, of that kingdom, into another space. That we are recipients of that gift, and now we get to go into another country and, and bring that gift. That other country is wherever God has taken you, where people need to know him, wherever that might be. And then it goes on in verse 21, and it says this, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This comes full circle with what Paul said drove him, right? What what drove him to do the ministry? What, 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 What he started with at the beginning? You see, it required a perfect sacrifice in our place. And that sacrifice was given in the form of the love of Jesus Christ. You see, it's the love of Christ that compels us. The love of of Christ controls us. It's the love of Christ that directs us. If we want to see big things happening in our church, it has to start with going, I can't believe that I get to be a recipient of this big thing that Christ has done for me. That God would send his son to die in my place. Now, I I don't want anybody to walk out of here and think, 
man, I, I really do love music. Does that mean that if I love music, I'm, I'm not following Jesus? No, that's, that's not the case. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But this is, like, when we understand what we've received, then that transforms everything and moves us to see differently, to, to have a different identity, to be people that have been reconciled, to then go into the areas that we love and be ministers of reconciliation within that context, be messengers of reconciliation within that context. And so for me, if it, if it was football, like, that, that I would be so in love with Christ that, that, I would be, that I would want to be a minister of his reconciliation on my team, at my practice, everywhere I go that God has given me within that lens. And I want to bring the message of reconciliation in the same place. And so wherever God has you, if it's in the sports and rec ministry, I want you to be minister, ministers of reconciliation and messengers of reconciliation there because God has loved you and shown that through his son, Jesus Christ. If it's loving and serving kids in the school down the road, like I want you to do that as ministers and messengers of reconciliation. If it's yard work and gardening, I want you to do that to the glory of Christ. Wherever God has passioned you, it must start with the one that has poured out a love that nothing else can return. A love that is eternal. So, church, I have two questions for you. One is for the person that's been here. The person that's saying, like, yes, Lord, I, I receive this. I'm, I'm in. I, I want to be a part of it. I want you to wrestle with the question, God, where would you want me to advance good in this world? God, where do you want to use me? Where do I take what you've given to me and, and receive that with joy and move that out so that others can, can know you and experience that? I want you to think through that. And the second question is this, for the person that might be visiting, for the person that, that might not have heard this message before, I want you to hear me now. That there is an offer on the table for you right now that, that the God of the universe did not bring you here by accident but it was, it was purposely designed to let you hear that, that you have an invitation into being reconciled to God. You have an invitation into being friends with God, to being a, a child of God. And all it takes is saying yes to Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so if... If you are in this place, then, then I want to ask you, like, will you respond to Jesus today? And as we pray and then, then move into a time of worship, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come stand over here, and there's going to be a, another pastor over here. And, and we're just, if you, if you want to move up, we can, we can pray together, or you can just worship God wherever you are. But what I want to ask is don't leave this place without wrestling with God through these questions. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much that we are able to receive your son, Jesus. God, that, that you reconciled us to yourself. When we were far from you, when we were your enemies, you, 
You pursued after us. You ran after us. And you allowed us to be recipients of your grace, of your love. And God, I pray that as we go from this place, that we would would go as people that want to see you glorified because we are so in love with you. God, let us be a people who are compelled to love others. Let us be a people that give everything generously so that you are glorified. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.